my name is Jimmy Young, and it's my great pleasure and privilege this morning to bring to you from the Word. Um, my, my role at this church is Director of Youth Ministry, so I sort of feel like a proud papa bear this morning with all my young cubs about to take this huge step towards Jesus, um, and I'm just filled with so much pride for them because over the last couple of years, it's been my joy to walk alongside them as they've wrestled with Jesus, they've wrestled with their doubts, they've um, really reveled in the gospel and really had this great awakening of faith. And so this is just a day filled with great joy for me and for many people in this church. And it's great to see a packed church to see what God is doing in the lives of these young people. But I think the thing that I love most about them is that they are all rather ordinary that they are wonderful young people, but there is nothing extraordinarily special about them that we come to celebrate this morning. What we come to celebrate is what God is doing in them. I was catch- I've caught up with all of them over the last couple of weeks. We've recorded a couple of videos that we're going to show a bit later about them st- sharing and telling us what God is doing in their life. And one of the young people that I was talking to, not working? Is that, that better? All right, we can, we can work that on. So as I was talking with one of these young people, they were sharing with me, uh, I feel like my testimony, I feel like my Jesus story, I feel like what, 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 what have I got to say? I feel like it's rather boring, rather ordinary. And uh, I looked this young person in the eye and said, mate, you have got no idea. Because what we come to celebrate this morning isn't your story. What we come to celebrate this this morning is the fact that the God who is the creator of all things, macro and micro, the God who created the stars, the God who created the universe, the galaxy, the mountains, the God who created the seas, the God who created the cells inside your body, who created everything that you are, has looked upon you and called you to himself. He has raised you to new life. You were lost and now you're found. You were blind and now you see. You had a heart of stone, but now you have a heart of flesh. That is what we come to celebrate this morning. Not these young people, but the great and glorious creator of all things that has called them to new life. That's what I'm excited about this morning. And uh, that's what I love about these young people, that they get this. They get this truth. And so before we get into Acts, I thought I'd just pray for us that we would see God in the same way that these young people see him. So if you want to bow your heads or whatever prayer position works for you, we can, we can do that. Father, you are good above all else. You who created all things. Father, call us to yourself this morning. Make yourself known to us. Let us taste and see the goodness of God, the richness of Jesus. Father, fill us this morning with your spirit. Stir our affections for you. Make much of Jesus this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness that you allow us to participate in days like today of great joy and great celebration of what you're doing. We know that all of heaven is rejoicing. Father, stir us so that we can rejoice with that same spirit this morning. Amen. 
So let me, let me set the scene for the book of Acts that we're in at the moment. So the book of Acts, we're in chapter 5. Crazy things have just gone down in the church. The Holy Spirit has come down and filled the apostles. Peter has just preached the first sermon and 3,000 men have become Christians. So it's 3,000, but the actual number is probably more like 10,000, 12,000. Jerusalem is being changed overnight by the gospel. Great miracles have been worked. There have been great healings. And all of a sudden, we come to this point in the story where there's some opposition. The Sadducees have risen up, and uh, they're getting upset about what Peter and John and the apostles, the followers of Jesus, are doing. So we start the story in Acts chapter 5. If you want to look at the screen, we'll just start now. Then the high priests and all his associates who are members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Sure. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. We're in there. So let me set the scene. The apostles are doing this crazy stuff. Thousands upon thousands of people are becoming Christians about following Jesus, have decided to follow him, have become these huge markers in Jerusalem. And the Sadducees are upset. See, the Sadducees are this religious sect who had got into bed with Rome. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they weren't that happy about Jesus, the fact that he was the resurrected one. They were in bed with Rome, and so they could see this little sect come forth, this little band of Christians who are gathered around the name of Jesus, and they're like, we don't like that. That looks dangerous to us. We have this privileged place in, 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 with Rome. Let's kill this. So the previous chapter, they warn them, they find no fault with them, and they send them on, and they say, don't speak about Jesus. Peter says, we have to. So now we find ourselves with the apostles being thrown in jail. And I think often when we think about jail in the, in the early church, we think of it quite like our jails. There'll be TVs, nice cells, there'll be room. Where jails back then were disgusting places, the apostles would not have enjoyed being in jail. It would have been a horrible experience. But I think compared to most people who were thrown into jail, the apostles would have been with, filled with great joy and great peace and calm. And so we find them in this jail at night sometime and then angels come down and open up the doors and tell them, go into the temple and speak about the fullness of this new life. I think this is one of the most powerful verses in Acts. See, following Jesus is not an addition to an already filled life. It's a takeover brothers and sisters in Christ. As you take the stand today to get baptized, remember that the call of Jesus is a radical counterformation. It's a call to form your life around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing less than this. It's all about Jesus all the time. 
It's not a part-time job. I was reminded of that. I was talking with my wife on the way home last night. It was my brother's wedding. And so um, it's been a great weekend, really. And so we're having this conversation. I was thinking, well, how could we illustrate this? And what came to mind is someone in our church who actually got baptized not too long ago, someone who I've had the privilege of walking alongside as well, who, Erin. Erin is a member of our church. She got baptized about two, two and a half years ago. And one of the greatest joys of my life is watching her not just become a Christian, not just serve, but continue to strive to make all of life all about Jesus in every aspect of it. At work, she asks, how can I be Christian in here? At school, how can I follow Jesus in here? She's been a youth leader and she has had an amazing impact. This is the call of Jesus. Radical formation around the gospel, the good news, the life, death and resurrection. This is the life that Jesus Christ calls you into as Christians. There's not two sex, uh, two separate classes of Christians, those who are sort of okay about Jesus and just live an ordinary life and those who live a radical life. This is the life. This is it. Each and every day, all of life, all about Jesus, all the time. And I think the, the interesting thing, the thing that I love about this, is that so often some of our prayers are, God, save me from this trial that would be better for me. But in the New Testament, what we see time and time again is that when God saves people, it's not to increase their comfort, it's to increase their zeal for the gospel, to increase their passion for Christ. And so what we see in this story is the fact that the angel comes down and saves the apostles from being in jail, and he doesn't do it to increase their comfort or so they could never talk about what happened ever again, but so they could speak of the fullness of this new life and increased passion for the gospel and increased passion for the good news of Jesus. If you want to pray for safety, pray that you have safety so that your zeal and passion for the gospel will increase. So the apostles go, okay, let's do that. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. So morning has come and the Sadducees have sent for the apostles to try them before another court. The apostles are not there. They've not been found. And the Sadducees flip out. They've sent to the jail and the men are not there. The greatest magic trick has come upon them. They've gone invisible somehow. They've escaped the guards. They've ripped open iron bars. They're not there. What's going on? They're greatly perplexed in my translation, which I think is a great rendering of of what's going on here. What on earth has happened? We've sent these men to jail and they're not here. And, And here's the line that I love after that. They said, they wonder what would come of this. It reminds me of uh, my, 
my wife and I have very different schedules sometimes and she will come home much later than me um, and so she'll give me stuff to do when I come home from work. And what, what it made me think of is all the times that she says, look, Jimmy, I, I really need you to clean the house or do the dishes. And what it made me think of is all the times that I come home and jump on the Xbox and forget what time it is and then hear her car come in the, the driveway and I wonder what will come of this. And go, ah, oh, this, is, this is not going to end well for me. That's what, that's what the Sadducees are thinking right now. They're going, ah, oh, damn, I am screwed. <laughs> We've got these men in jail and where have they gone? They flip out. They're greatly perplexed. But uh, all of a sudden, they found them. Verse 25 AJ, can we, can we get verse 25 up? It should be one of the extra slides, a bit up. So they send an army after them. Someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the, the, the people would, would uh, stone them. I think this is rather cool because in my experience, if someone has a sword, you usually do what they say. If someone came to me with a sword, um, they would probably be able to use a great deal of force against me because I'd be pretty scared of losing a limb. But the apostles were filled with such power, such boldness, such courage, such confidence that the army that was sent to get them would not use force. People with armor and swords and arrows and quivers came to them and said, could, could, you please, could you please come with us? Do, do you want to go get tried? <laughs> they were so scared at the fact that the apostles were so bold, so courageous and confident. I think that's a great testament to what God is doing in the lives of the apostles here. So we, we go on to the trial. Verse 27. Having brought the apostles... They made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be, tr- be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood, this man Jesus. I think this is one of the greatest charges anyone could ever receive in court. We told you not to speak about Jesus and you have filled Jerusalem. If I die, that's what I want on my tombstone. You have filled this place. We told you not to speak about Jesus, and yet you've occupied Jerusalem. The hashtag's going around, hashtag occupied Jerusalem. We told you not to speak about Jesus, and this place is buzzing with the news about the life, the death, the resurrection of this king. What are you doing? What are you doing, guys? And I'll be honest right now. I think uh, growing up, being involved in youth ministry for so long, one of the prayers that I often see from parents and from friends and family is that we hope you know, our kids have a prosperous life, they have a blessed life, that God looks after them. This is my prayer for them. If I pray for your young people, it is this, that they feel wherever they are, with the name of Jesus, 
that they occupy the spaces that they're in with the gospel. That wherever they go and whoever they're with, the gospel is quick to their lips. That's my prayer for these young people, that they become great warriors of the faith who would speak often of Jesus so that when they die, their tombstone can read, they filled this space with the name of Jesus. That's my prayer for these young people. Verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. They've received the charge. The Sanhedrin, the gathered high priests, the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're all there. And they charge them with trying to bring the blood of Jesus on them, of filling Jerusalem with his name. And Peter says, we must obey God rather than man. Peter's a boss. He's confident. And, and what it reminds me of is this proverb. It's Proverbs chapter 29. AJ, do you want to get it up on the screen? It says this. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Fighting for the approval of people all the time is a trap. Basing your worth, your purpose, your identity on what other people think of you. Going to school and worrying about what other people are saying of you. Going to work and worrying what people will think about you is a trap that will ensnare you. Trust in Jesus. He's the, he's the one who gives you your purpose anyway. Can I, can I say something harsh in a, with a cute analogy? Right? If you're fearful of a kitten and, and just don't care about a lion, you're an idiot. But that's how so many people are living. We're feared of what other people will say to us. We're we're worried about what other people think of us or worried what other people will say to our friends or what their opinions of us are. And we don't ever stop to consider what God thinks about us or who we are in Him because the reality is what can they do? If my identity is in Christ, what can people say about me that will cause me to lose anything? If they cut off my limb, well... I believe in a God who created all things, who work everything together for my good. I don't care. What does it matter if people gossip about me at school, if I know what the King of Kings says about me? What does it matter? What can they do if we obey God rather than men? Trying to obey people first and then God second is like being fearful of a kitten when a lion is standing next to you. Friends, he could devour you, but he's good. There's so much freedom in that. Friends. I think the other thing I love about this is Peter. Peter is one of the most courageous men in Acts, who time and time again stands before the courts and answers the call of Jesus. But for anyone who's read the Gospels before, they know that Peter is not only hot-headed, but he's also in some ways a coward. See, upon the night that Jesus died, he denied Jesus multiple times. He fled 
Denied that he even knew the man. So I've been reading this and going, what changed in Peter? What turned this coward into a confident, courageous witness of the risen Lord Jesus? And if you've been following along with us at all, I think the answer is the Holy Spirit. See, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we've been saying all along, this is the key to understanding the book of Acts. It says this, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Next slide, AJ. It's not working? Wonderful. I'll just go back to Acts chapter 1 and read it out anyway. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What it's saying is that Acts is all about ordinary people who are fueled and filled by the Spirit to witness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The difference in Peter is the fact that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why he's confident. He hasn't gained this new oratory abilities. He hasn't gained this newfound confidence in his abs. He hasn't got this new beard that's making him feel a lot better about himself, that's leading to a great confidence in his ability to stand up to people. He is filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit to speak confidently and courageously about Jesus, and the same Spirit lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So don't go to school and think, I can't speak about Jesus. Because the answer is right. You can't speak about Jesus. You will will lack confidence. You will lack courage. You will not have the skills, but the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit will fuel you. He is the one that will provide boldness. Peter's a good man, but he's rather ordinary. He's rather just like us. Remember, when you're feeling scared or anxious or fearful, that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. He has great power. Don't forget that, friends. Okay, so let's let's keep going. So Peter then once again says the gospel, which is my favorite thing about the book of Acts. You hear the gospel about seven times in every chapter says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. So the Sanhedrin are upset. They're going, you're trying to bring this blood upon us. And Peter says, you're right, you killed him. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The gospel. The gospel. That Jesus Christ has come to set us free, has come to offer forgiveness and repentance. That even though us... Not just, not just Rome, not just the Sadducees, not just the Pharisees, not just the early church, not just those who knew who Jesus was. But for everyone, John Piper has this this great quote. He says that until you see Jesus coming for you, you must see that it was you who put him on the cross. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. It was our sins that put him there, but he has come. 
to set us free. He has come to offer us forgiveness. He has come to offer repentance. And that's what these young people are responding to this morning. They heard the gospel and go, I want in. I want to follow Jesus. I am a sinner. I need him desperately. So we come to, to Gamaliel, who's a, who's a pretty cool guy. Verse 33 says this, When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put the apostles to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, saying, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thoidus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. But he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. And after him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So we find Gamaliel, this great rabbi, who was a a grandson of the great rabbi Hillel, who, uh, if you've got any Jewish friends, is a big deal. This guy was Paul's mentor. So Paul went under Gamaliel. So that's where he got all his teaching from. And he stands up and says, If this is of God, it will not fail. But look at all these other men. Look at all these other gatherings, these other uh, risings up. They've gathered around this man and he died and they dispersed. And he's pointing to, guys, just leave them be. Jesus has died. Their leader has gone. Nothing will happen. Let them go. And he's right. If this is of man, this is worthless. If this is of man, today is meaningless, utterly meaningless. Baptizing people in uh, an ordinary pool, it's, it's meaningless. Utterly meaningless if this is of man. But if this is of God, this is everything. You are testimony to the fact that Jesus is the king. That everything that is written in Acts is true. Because, just think about it. This is a Middle Eastern story about a rather obnoxious group of people who might have just been consigned to the annals of history if not for the fact that the gospel changed everything. Gamaliel is his own prophet, saying, if this is of man, it will fail, but if it is God, who can stand against it? You are proof, above proof, that this is of God. The fact that we have a packed out church in Caroline Springs. If this isn't the ends of the earth that, Paul, that Peter's talking about, I don't know where it is. The gospel has reached all corners of the world and is reaching all corners of the world because this is of God. If God is for us, who can stand against us? So Gamaliel has his speech. And then they keep going on saying, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. 
the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. I think I love this story about the fact that it's real. I think so often when we stand on days like today, we're going to hear great, these great confident testimonies about Jesus living and acting in the lives of young people. And we say all these big statements. And I think one of the things that I never hear is that I want to suffer for the faith. I want to be beaten for Jesus. But the thing I love about Acts is that it's just written all the way through. The, the radical counterformation, the formation about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus will be difficult. It will be hard and you will experience opposition. Do not be surprised. It will actually build your faith. I was reading a story about a guy called Richard, Richard Wormbrand, who was a uh, priest, a pastor in the Romanian church where Christianity was still outlawed. The t- telling someone about the gospel was outlawed. And so Richard Wormbrand was thrown in jail and given a hideous treatment. He would be flogged. Pieces of flesh would be ripped off his body. He would be not fed. So he came, uh, after a couple of days, he came out, not, not after a couple of days, like a couple of months of experience, this harsh treatment, being flogged, of being whipped, of being deprived of food and water. He came out and He was looking like a scarecrow. His teeth were falling out. And as he passed by a a widow who had some bread, she offered him some bread and he said, no, I must continue to fast. So he, he went home to his wife who was rejoicing at the fact that her husband was home and he said to her, we must fast so that I can have the same joy that I had in jail for witnessing to the Lordship of Jesus that I can have outside persecution and opposition will stir your affections for Jesus. Don't be afraid when people stand against you at school. It will stir your affections for Jesus. That's the case all through the New Testament. That standing up for Jesus, although difficult, is worthwhile. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. What a powerful testimony. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Friends, let's rid ourselves of the lie that following Jesus leads to a comfortable, satisfactory life. Because it's a lie that is killing Christians. Following Jesus will be the hardest, most difficult thing that you will ever do. It will require everything that you have and far more. But it is the most worthwhile thing that you could ever do. That's why it is worthwhile. It is worthy. This is the reason you were created, the reason you were born to follow Jesus. Nothing less than all your life will do. And the thing that I love is that they were charged not to speak about Jesus anymore. They were urged to stop speaking about Jesus. And what did they do? They did not cease speaking about the goodness of Jesus, speaking about the life that they had received, speaking about the gospel week in, week out, day in, day out, year in, year out, did not cease. 
you're charged with the same. Speak the gospel week in, week out. Do not cease talking about who Jesus is. It's going to be very easy, this a hyped moment on a Sunday with lots of your friends and family to speak about who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life. But suddenly when you come to school on a Monday, it's going to be much different. It's going to be far more difficult. People are going to say things to you. We've talked about that a bit last week with Bella sharing about some of the opposition she's received. Don't cease. It's worthwhile. This is why you were created. Fill your schools with the gospel. Fill your homes with the gospel. Fill your friends with the gospel. This is the charge that I leave with you. I'm going to pray. Father, what a great occasion we have to celebrate not just these young people, but the life that you've created in them. That they were dead and are now alive. They were blind, but now can see. They were lost, but now are found. Father, this is you. It's not us that have produced this in these young people. It's not the music that has produced an emotional response to you. It is the gospel, the Holy Spirit working inside these people, and we praise you for it, Father. Outside of us, this, outside of you, this doesn't happen. On our strength, this doesn't happen. So you get the glory, all of it. Father, thank you. Amen.